PR or the personal representative is a person who has the authority and has been assigned that authority by the courts. I think that if we can get the relatives and the beneficiaries who will directly benefit from the distribution of assets um, from the seal of real estate or uh, the uh, decedents, uh, you know, personal effects. I think that if everyone can come together, and it's very difficult when you have the emotions that are running high after, you know, the loss of a loved one. And you'll see people who kind of surface and they kind of come from every different direction who may not have been involved to the end of life of that loved one. I think if you can bring everyone back to the table to lay out um, the plan and to, to even to help them be involved or feel like they're involved in the development of that plan, I think it can help to um, assuage some of the anxiety around what this person is, you know, quote unquote, maybe what they're doing or why do, do they get to make all the decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wills Women and Wealth podcast, where we lead you holistically from overwhelmed to empowered through estate planning. I'm Elsa W. Smith, your Maryland estate planning and probate attorney and the host of this podcast. We're here to empower women who value their health, their wealth, and the legacies that they are creating. Our podcast covers various topics, including finance, law, mental and physical health, and more. We aim to provide you with valuable information, expert interviews, and educational episodes that answer your questions about wills, estate planning, and probate topics. Remember that this is a community, so please engage with us. If you have questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us on social media or leave a comment. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming content. Now, today's topic is navigating the sale of a loved one's home uh, during probate. And to guide us through this topic, I've brought back a friend of the podcast, the one and only realtor, broker, fantastic entrepreneur, Tina Marie Marshall. And you'll hear more about her in a second. Tina Marie is a well-known entrepreneur here in the DMV who cares deeply about our community. Her mission aligns with ours in that she believes that educating our community leads to empowerment. So without further ado, welcome Tina Marie Marshall. Welcome, Hello. Tina Marie. Good morning. Hello, Elsa. Hello, uh, everyone. I am so glad to have you back uh, on the podcast. So um, there, believe it or not, there are actually some people who still do not know who you are and know about your businesses. So let's start off with that. Please tell us a bit about yourself, um, your amazing uh, company, and just the growth. Tell us about the growth that you've experienced recently. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Elsa, for having me. And I really appreciate every opportunity to meet with your audience and to, uh, to speak to people and hopefully give some insight. So um, to give you a little background, I am a uh, realtor, I'm an entrepreneur, a broker, um, an owner of a firm called Maryland Prime Realty Company, located here in gorgeous Prince George's County. And I'm also the owner of DC Prime Realty Company, as well as Virginia Prime Realty Company, located in Alexandria, Virginia. So uh, we are um, a small woman-owned, female-owned operation, and I have about 25 beautiful um, women, all women-owned, and operated brokerage currently, and uh, not on purpose, but um, we it just worked out that way. So we're here to provide services in terms of real estate services and um, to help our people navigate through the um, different challenges associated with home buying and purchasing, 
et cetera. Um, you know, so that's a, hopefully a little bit and enough to give you a little insight. But yeah, so that's who I am. 20 years in the business and um, hopefully be here a lot longer. So it's not we're just getting started. I love it. I love it. And Tina, one thing that um, you said in, in uh, prior uh, interviews and one thing that you really believe is um, is in investing in our community. Um, you t you are just so passionate about that. You want to see people thrive. Um, and uh, I just want to thank you publicly for that because it's realtors, brokers like yourself that are really making a real difference um, in, in our community. So let's go ahead and, and get started. You know, the, the topic, as I said today, is navigating the sale of a loved one's home during probate, right? But let's tackle a fundamental question, you know, uh, that you and I probably both get asked about, like, what is probate? Probate people don't understand it. It can be kind of a, a scary term, but let's kind of demystify that, right? So probate is, uh, it does two things. One, it's a court process. It's a legal process whereby the court um, validates a, a will if a will has been uh, executed. And it does a second very important thing too. It oversees the orderly administration of a decedent, that's a person who's died, of their property, right? Making sure that, first of all, that everything in that deceased person's, the decedent's um, estate, it's everything that they own, is properly accounted for to the penny. And then what the court does, is it ensures that the beneficiaries, according to your will, receive properly receive what you've intended them to receive. Right. So it's that orderly administration. It's nothing to be scary about. And um, I have to say that here in Maryland, um, Maryland has a very orderly and efficient way of, um, you know, administering estates on average, the time period from the time that an estate is opened to closing is usually between nine and 12 months. So um, plenty got plenty of guidelines along the way, but I just wanted to talk, you know, mention that first before we dive in to one of the, I mean, really tricky issues is in the sale of that decedent's home during during this multi month uh, process, and um, you know, Tina Marie, there are a lot. There's and we're going to get into it in our in our interview in our questioning but there's like the the business side but there's also the human side you know to this to this process so why is it important for there to be you know really good communication with the personal representative and that for everyone that is the person also known as an executor that's the person in charge of making sure that everything is done according to the will, right? So why is it important to have that uh, honest communication with that personal representative during the, that sale process of the decedent's home? Uh, I think that's a great question. Also, you also enlightened me, and I'll go back before I go forward, but you also enlightened me as to what the probate process is supposed to look like from an attorney's perspective. So I thank you for providing for further clarification to what I thought I already knew um, in terms of it being for a person who has a will, because we often know in our community, we don't have wills in place. Mm. So, um, and maybe you can talk about that. We can circle back around to it. But um, in terms of communication and having an open dialogue with a personal representative or PR during this process, it is critical and I think it's paramount in anything um, because we're talking about, like you said, the human aspect of dealing with money and assets. After our loved one has passed away, you will often see what we often hear in our community is, you know, it brings out, death brings out the, the good and the worst of people. And I think in order to try to avoid that or to try to uh, lessen that effect is to be open and honest and bring all parties to the table to be able to have discussions and conversations, even though the P 
PR or the personal representative is a person who has the authority and has been assigned that authority by the courts. I think that if we can get the relatives and the beneficiaries who will directly benefit from the distribution of assets um, from the sale of real estate or uh, the uh, decedents, uh, you know, personal effects, I think that if everyone can come together and it's very difficult when you have the emotions that are running high after, you know, the loss of a loved one and you'll see people who kind of surface and they kind of come from every different direction who may not have been involved to the end of life of that loved one. I think if you can bring everyone back to the table to lay out um, the plan and to, to even to help them be involved or feel like they're involved in the development of that plan, I think it can help to um, assuage some of the anxiety around what this person is, you know, quote unquote, maybe what they're doing or why do, do they get to make all the decisions? I think it'll help to kind of, you know, ease that process along a little bit. What are some examples, some real life examples that maybe you or member or members of your team um, have shown in um, really examples of how you show that human kindness and empathy towards a PR or some other beneficiaries who are grieving and who are interacting yes. with you or your team? Well, I've had recently, uh, earlier this year, a, a case that um, a client that I was working with and she was settling her father's estate. And oftentimes the uh, PR is not the person who was right physically there sometimes. So in this case, uh, the young woman had a cousin who was living with her father prior to her father's passing. And the cousin, you know, wanted to purchase the home. So sometimes they feel like I'm in place and I'm taking care of everything. So I should be able to just purchase it or stay here under the same terms, which is not part of the process. So we have to often inform and to kind of go through what that process looks like from a real estate perspective in terms of preparing the property for sale and being able to navigate that and do it tactfully um, with a person who feels that they have a position in benefiting from you know, the loss of my client's loved one. And um, oftentimes, like I said, it, it doesn't work out the way that, you know, some family members may feel. And they will sometimes try to uphold the process by um, not cooperating with showings, not allowing access, um, you know, a, a number of different things during the home sale process because they want to try to work through it so that maybe it'll work out for them or buy them some more time to be able to make other decisions or other arrangements. And um, the PR is often put in a position where we have to work with them. And I try to really, really be tactful, like I said, myself and the agents that uh, work with me to try to work through the process so that, again, we can move through it, hopefully peacefully, without, um, you know, any drama. Yeah, no, um, you know, we've we've talked, uh, you know, during show prep about um, some really um, jarring uh, examples of how that sale process can be impeded by relatives, people, you know, involved that may have had some emotional attachment to uh, you know, the, that loved one who passed away and or the property itself, right? And they let their passions, their emotions uh, take control of them and can lead to um, potentially some rather violent, um, you know, situations. Um, how does, yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. Um, and how, and now let's talk about not only in that situation, but just in general, could you please educate us on how the realtor, and we'll talk about realtor versus, you know, other agents and that, distinct, uh, that distinction in a minute, but the importance of the realtor being a neutral party yes. during this process. We absolutely should always be neutral, but our, uh, our uh, fiduciary responsibility is to the client whom we are under contract to represent, whether that be the person who is selling the actual property or maybe potentially a person who's buying a property that is under an estate 
um, sale. You know, we will have to try to be fair, try to be impartial, but also try to be empathetic to all sides because it's not just a legal financial transaction for us. It's a very emotional one. And you want to, again, try to keep everyone level-headed and to also try to keep people focused on, you know, achieving the goal, which is to affect the sale of the property and to achieve the largest amount of money, you know, that we can get for our sellers um, or the better price for our buyers, respectively. Um, there are a lot of nuances um, to, you know, working with clients, especially because, like you said, it's very emotional. Sometimes I've had um, sellers in an estate sale who didn't want to show up to the closing table, who hmm. went through the whole process under contract. And because they were so grief stricken, they could not and would not come to the table on the day of closing. And as professionals, we had to, you know, take a step back and, you know, the family members were engaging the gentleman trying to get him to, hey, you have to go in and sign, you have to do this. And we were saying, no, give him a moment, allow him some space, allow him some time to um, gather his thoughts and collect himself. And, you know, hopefully reason will kick in and he'll be fine. And he was able to do that. It took him until the next day um, to decide wow. to come back to the closing table and to proceed with the sale, but he did not have to. And and that's where, like I said, it comes to being very neutral, being very understanding because I was representing the buyer and that was my client, but he was, you know, you know, on the other side selling and just trying to help navigate a newer agent um, through that process and representing her client. I'm like, just give them some space and, you know, it will work out. And then the title company from that perspective could have been liable had they pressured him or any of us had pressured him to sell because at that point, and I'm not an attorney and I advise you to consult one, but at that point we could have been accused of duress um, or any of those other things where the sale could have been overturned or repealed. And, you know, he may have had some grounds if we had pressured him. So it is very important for us as real estate professionals to stay neutral and, you know, throughout this process and to make sure that we're protecting the integrity of the transaction and honoring the contracts and the agreements, but also again, remaining um, considerate and mindful ethically that we're talking about real people here with real, That's emotions, a, real emotions. Your your response is a nice segue to the next question I have is um, about if you could speak to the importance of realtors, um, you know, in layman's terms, staying in their lane. But what I mean is not crossing that line to offering legal advice, even though you may have years of experience and you know how the system works Correct. and it's really tempting to just kind of <laughs> tiptoe reach over that line but could you speak to the importance of them not doing so yes realtors real estate professionals we are should be very educated and very well versed in understanding you know through our licensing process um, what that looks like. And then we're also required to do continuing education classes and um, to make sure that we're reminded that we are not authorized for any legal advice to practice in any way, shape, or form the business of law. That holds a very, very um, different level of education and specialization, which is far beyond our, you know, um, scope of, you know, scope of authority or expertise. Even like you said, we may I've been doing this like myself for 20 years. I still defer to and defer my clients to and strongly encourage them to consult and seek competent legal advice, not just, you know, my personal opinion or, you know, the opinion of other realtors or friends or people that may have gone through this process. I encourage them to seek competent legal advice, you know, at every turn. And we use that term and I use that catch line. I learned it, you know, 20 years ago. I'm not an attorney and I, and I encourage you to contact legal advice. This is my personal opinion and I am not an attorney and I encourage you to, con you know, to seek competent legal professional advice. So, you know, we Great. try to say, you know, if you're an, an agent and a good one, you dare not, you know, tiptoe over that line because it comes with a huge responsibility and we could be fined um, extreme penalties. We're talking about $5,000 to start for the first occurrence. Um, if, you know, we bring in the Maryland Real Estate Commission, they they are they have a zero tolerance policy. First offense, 
Wow. So it's the penalties are stiff for doing such. So you really want to try to, like you said, stay in your lane, um, agents, and, and defer to the professionals. For those of us who are just joining uh, the podcast, our topic today is navigating the sale of a loved one's home during probate. And as my guest, I have the amazing Tina Marie Marshall, realtor, broker, entrepreneur, really guiding us um, through this process. Um, Tina Marie, all over, and I've seen it in, in my neighborhood and various neighborhoods now, these open house signs. Um, and a lot of people are on, you know, looking for homes, whether to buy or sell, whatever, online. Talk to us about what an open house is and the different types of open houses and just kind of give us some insight as to that. Okay. Yes, we love open houses. Open houses are another way for agents to market and to literally open up your home and allow the public, um, anyone who's potentially looking to purchase a home or even some neighbors who are willing to sell. It's not just nosy neighbors um, who wanna come and see what your house looks like, but sometimes they're often trying to get an idea of what your home looks like in comparison to theirs if they're considering potentially selling their home. So an open house is a way just to, again, allow an opportunity, usually a window of time on the weekend, most oftentimes, but we do do them sometimes being creative, maybe a weeknight um, in the evenings. Um, to allow people in. And we will do open houses in various ways. One is obviously the traditional way, opening the doors and allowing, you know, everyone to come in between the hours of like, you know, maybe usually 11 or, you know, two on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, but now that we've gone to a virtual world, I've personally done what we can do what's called a virtual um, private showing for a client. So I have clients who are out of the state all over the country, um, sometimes all over the world internationally. And we will walk a client through on a video live feed from room to room to give them the perspective as if they were physically walking through the property or the home. And the third way is to do a virtual tour so that you can see it visually um, by using uh, 360 technology and other, you know, real live digital so that you can go up, down, you know, you could pan around and see the our home from front to back, you know, to give you a, you know, a virtual tour of the home. So, you know, those are kind of the ways that we leverage open house and we love them because we get to meet the people, talk to, talk to the people and the clients um, often on the other side to, to kind of get a perspective of what's important to them. So what do they like about the home? What do they dislike to also help affect the sale of the home that much faster? Wow. Um, so I guess you encapsulated like some of the um, some of the benefits, you know, they uh, particularly in the virtual setting. I mean, because people want to see stuff now they want to make sometimes uh, I guess, has it been your experience that sometimes they don't even visit the property? They just base their decision to buy on your virtual tour, you know, and yes. then they're reaching out to you and say, listen, I want that property. Let's, you know, let's put an offer on it, make this an offer it. on it. I have done probably 30 to 40% of my business is homes that are, um, that they've seen them virtually, not in person, or it's the very first property or first opportunity that they've seen, meaning they've seen one home, this is it, we love it. And then I myself personally, I know this is kind of weird for some, but if you've ever talked to me about my faith, which is huge, um, I literally have never gone into any home that I've personally lived in before I purchased it. So I've purchased all of my homes, all of my investment properties, sight unseen, in person. Wow. Since wow. 2005, when I purchased my first home. We did not go inside. We did not drive by it. Literally looked at pictures from the outside or on the internet. That was it. I wrote the contract. The offers were accepted. Sight unseen. And then Is I said, that... oh, what did I buy? <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because is that... Um, I guess it's it's a reflection of just how fast things are moving nowadays. I mean, there's no no longer you know where a house is you know open house for like weeks and weeks and weeks on end. A lot of times it's just within right. days, right? And it can right. happen that quickly. We here in the DMV age continue to be a very strong seller's market, so we don't have the luxury of time. 
And when you, for, for myself personally, when you have a set budget that you intend to spend, and if you have certain ideals about a property, if it meets the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, you know, hopefully it has most of the things that you would like, like in it. I don't need to walk into it, you know, because I know that this is the budget that I want to remain within. So this works for me and my family. And I always tell God, if you give it to me, I'll make it a home. So it's just a house until I get there with my family and can turn into anything that, you know, I want it to be with time, a little patience, a little money, you can make it a home. And because of there's an extreme housing shortage, I know we are not talking about um, that in this podcast, but I wanted, if you indulge me. Of course. But because there's such an extreme housing shortage and crisis in America for affordability, for affordable homes that people can afford Mm -hmm. to pay with their current living wage, it is a very small number of homes that people can afford. There are so many people that are homeless and find themselves in very, very serious situations because they don't have the ability to really choose where they're going to live based on their financial situation. So I encourage anyone who's thinking about home ownership to buy anything because the prices are steadily rising at a rapid pace and we don't have the luxury of choice as much anymore unless your finances are in a wonderful financial position that you can really choose and take your time and go through that process to really say, you know, this is what I want. Oftentimes when we're meeting clients and potential home buyers, um, the reality is, is that their finances can't carry them to where they would like to be. In cases such as myself, even though I do have the power of choice now, it's still such a scary situation, even for me being a broker to be able to, you know, have to give that news sometimes to potential buyers that, you know, I know that this is not the dream home in your mind that you had envisioned or hoped for for yourself. But um, if it meets the check marks, this is what's in your budget. Buy it, live in it for a couple of years, and then bless someone else with it a couple of years. Yeah, so that's my little- No, no, I I appreciate, as always, I appreciate Mm -hmm. your insights and your wisdom so much. Um, I want to- again, return to the that lens of that PR, that executor lens yeah. going through going through this process. Now, as soon as, um, you know, there, the, the fact that the estate is open, you know, it's public, um, the PR is probably going to be bombarded with ads from realtors, people offering to liquidate, sell property and stuff, you know, and it seems like from what I can tell, just from the outside in and, you know, listen to you as, as the expert here is that it would really benefit the PR, the personal representative to have a guide, somebody walking alongside them. Um, but what I've learned from you and what I would like you to share with the audience is that there's a difference in levels of service, um, that you can get when, you know, considering working with a realtor. Or a real a real estate agent, and again, I know we'll distinguish mm-hmm. those in a minute. But yeah, I mean, talk to us a bit about that because it's really you know you're being bombarded, and you, how do you know? And and as a follow up, tell us why it's probably not a good idea for you to just try to do this on your own, you know, DIY oh, yeah. it. Yeah. So as a you know, I, I I would encourage anyone to. Many people have purchased homes, and they sometimes think, oh. You know, I could do this. I can open the door to a property and, you know, I've found my property on the internet myself. Or I've heard people say, I've pulled up to the new home community. I walked right in there and I signed a contract and I didn't need a realtor. And I would encourage them to say, you have no idea what you signed. And the person who may be there representing you is not representing you. They are representing the builders and the other side but they're never going to really tell you that or really explain to you the difference. So it's extremely important to always seek a competent real estate professional who specializes, hopefully, in the type of home you want to purchase or the type of property you want to purchase or commercial business or land that you want to purchase. If they have experience in that area, it's extremely important because there are so many different nuances between what Elsa um, alluded to earlier in terms of different levels of Uh, service. So there is what's called a full service agency. 
and my brokerages, Mellon Prime, DC Prime, and Virginia Prime Realty Companies, are all full service agencies. We do not do what is called um, limited service listings. And that's basically where you could contact or some company might contact you and say, hey, we can list your property. You don't need a realtor. You don't need to pay all those high commissions. We can list it for a flat fee um, and just put it in the MLS, the multiple listing service online. And people will see your home on the R site, the Z site. Y'all know those companies. I don't like saying their names. Um, but those companies who advertise real estate listings, and that's all you have to do because you're in a strong seller's market to sell your home. And I'll tell you, that is not correct. Oftentimes, those companies or those people are using the licensing of a real estate professional such as myself, but not myself. We don't do that. We want to provide full and complete service. And in doing that, you're required to provide as a seller full and complete disclosure of the property and providing all the required disclosures legally to those buyers. And these companies that are often practicing these limited service companies are not in your area located physically, which, which means they're not as familiar with all the different local, county, and um, specific jurisdictional addendums that are required to pass with the sale of a property in certain areas. So oftentimes when going through this process, when I'm dealing with a seller who has contracted with one of these companies, they don't have the proper and appropriate disclosure for my buyers. So I often have to step in because I want to make sure that my buyer is clear and that they're covered. I will often have to try to help them navigate through that process, even though the seller is not my client, in order to provide protection to my buyer client. But I am not like most agents. Most agents will not do that for you because they know that they're putting their client in a position to make sure that they could potentially provide a lawsuit to the seller at a later time because they know that the seller didn't provide a specific or necessary disclosure, such as a federal or a local state or a specific county lead-based paint addendum, and the child mm. gets sick or the dog licks the wall. You know, any of those things can happen. And now someone is looking for someone to pay. And they're going to go and contact those real estate agents. Um, and when you look at those contracts that that seller who may have contracted with that limited service company may have signed, they will often absolve themselves of any responsibility. So you literally have no protection. Um, same thing with the builder contract, new home construction. Those contracts are slighted towards the building company, and it often leaves the consumers with zero protection and zero recourse. So it's very, you know, very much um, buyer beware and seller beware that you're contacting and have a competent real estate professional in your corner that understands the nuances and all those requirements for your specific home and your market in your area. So should the PR just, uh, uh, forgive me, so the, the PR should just come out and say, listen, um, are you a full service uh, realtor? Just yeah. easy, easy question for everybody's listening. Are you a full service realtor? And you've already told us what the benefits are because like in everything, you don't know what you don't know. Correct. Right. You want to ask that professional, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to market my home? How will you, uh, will you prepare all the paperwork and the documents? Um, how long is this process expected to take? What are the statistics for homes of this type, this size, this area? What can I expect to receive? You want to make sure that that company has provided you with a list of not just um, comparable homes, but also with what the competition is today is an often overlooked number that a limited service company will never give you in terms of understanding that just because the homes that are on my street in my neighborhood sold for, for example, $400,000 last month, if the market has slid or appreciated in any way, it does not capture those um, potential dollars. So the market may have come up or there may be only one of that type of home in that neighborhood that's highly sought after. And we know that people want to get in there because of the school district. And a realtor or real estate agent might adjust up the price to compensate because there's no competition 
or very limited number of homes that are like this in this uh, condition in this area. Likewise, you may also need to adjust down because if that limited service company is not familiar with your neighborhood, your community, those comparable homes that are truly comparable and not just figures from the internet, um, that they will understand the nuances that a home in, for example, Suitland, Maryland, three bedroom, three, two bath, may not um, fetch the same as a home that's five minutes down the street in uh, Clinton or Temple Hills. It may not fetch the same price, even though it is within the realm of a comparable sale that a, an appraiser could use and look at. So those nuances are very, very, um, can be very costly if they don't have a, a competent real estate professional to advise them and to walk them through that sale process from start to finish. And when you're also on the market, um, once you've listed the property in the home, that real estate professional should be monitoring other comparable home sales that are on the market to try to capture and maybe sometimes adjust the price up or even adjust the price down if more homes enter the market. So those right. types of nuances are critical to having a professional because that could equate to a huge and extreme loss of dollars for those potential heirs or beneficiaries. So it's not just often what's cheap or less expensive, you know, this flat fee thinking that the heirs will inherit more because you've spent less money to hire a um, limited service company, flat fee company, you might lose out on 15, 20 or $30,000 because that limited service company didn't capture the nuances of the market and the day that you went to market. You know, that's a, this is a great opportunity for me to just uh, jump in here and talk about the duty that the personal representative has to get the best uh, price yes. um, for a prop. They have a duty. And why is that so important? Because their job is not only to make sure that the beneficiaries receive you know, what's coming to them through a will or if they died without a will through the intestacy uh, process, but they've got, a, they have a duty to make sure that, first of all, that the property maintains its integrity, that it's, it's still, you know, throughout the probate process, that it's still being maintained, doing the landscaping and all of that. And all of those are um, acceptable estate expenses, meaning that you don't have to come out of pocket um, for them. Same for realtor fees, right? Those are, you know, part of the, the process. The personal representative is not coming out of pocket um, for this. So that's yet another reason for you to seek the best, yeah. the highest level of service that you can and somebody that's really going to make sure that the property is presented in the best possible way to get, make sure you can get top dollar because top dollar means that there's more money coming into that estate and more money to distribute to the beneficiaries. Yeah. I know that it is very tempting and I'm speaking from personal experience and, 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 you know, representing certain uh, individuals that they just, as they say, I just want to be done with it. Attorney Smith. I just, you know, sell it, put it on the market as is, and I just want to find someone and get done with it. But then I remind them, I'm like, look, you're you're looking at it from you and your personal views of things. But when you accepted the role of personal representative, when you were appointed and given that authority by a court, you now have a higher level of duty. And one of those duties is to make sure that you get top dollar for that for that property. Um, so, um, and we'll get into how you get top dollar for that property in, in, for a, in a few minutes, but I want to just stay on the, the, the open house for a second on guidelines. Mm -hmm. And typically, um, it, the, the, if you're, if you're the PR and you're trying to sell this property, typically the personal representatives aren't on property while the open houses are being uh, conducted. Is that correct? No. Or is, you know, what, and what do you recommend? No, I would recommend any seller as particularly a PR that no one, um, no one who's a part of the sale represent the seller, the PR beneficiaries. No one should be on site during the open house, except for the real estate professionals. Um, it's such an emotional uh, situation 
And it can be very uncomfortable for any potential buyers to truly walk into the home and feel that they can voice their opinions, express their likes, dislikes. If a, a seller of any kind or PR is in the property, a buyer is more likely to spend very uh, less, much less time. I don't know exactly what the specific statistic is, but from my experience, I've seen them be in there less than one minute. Wow. You might normally be in there for maybe 20 minutes. But in my personal experience, I've literally seen clients to come into a home and be there in and out 30 seconds, 60 seconds, like, yep, I don't like the living room. And it's not really about the living room. It's because they have a cousin or an uncle sitting there just kind of leering at them or, you know, it makes you very uncomfortable. It's very off-putting to a potential client. Or if they step outside, even I've had clients say, we'll just step outside. It's like, no, if I see you standing out there and, you know, we have these cases, even sometimes in divorce or, you know, life situations and changes that um, sellers are nearby or you see them sitting in the driveway in the cars or, you know, I've had some sitting in the garage, like you cannot do this. And I encourage them to leave because it's very uncomfortable for potential buyers to see themselves in a home when they see you in your home or in the home and that you have a personal interest. They can't be as free to speak, you know, or to feel like, okay, now I can really envision myself here. They can often feel what is not said or spoken um, in the energy in the room based on the person, even if they've said nothing to um, a potential buyer. It just is a very uncomfortable situation. So I strongly and highly discourage any sellers, <clears throat> sellers, personal representatives, beneficiaries, um, especially to be in a home at any point during a sale, like when you have buyers that are doing showings. Try to schedule around them, you know, don't be there, <laughs> leave. Tina Marie, during the beginning of the interview, we, we touched on very briefly on um, just some, uh, potentially uncomfortable situations that can arise when, you know, feelings, emotions get out of hand because of the presence of, you know, people who are emotionally attached um, to this property. Um, what are some of the, the safety measures that you as a realtor employ to keep, um, to keep everybody safe, yes, um, including members of your team? Thank you. Uh, safety is such a huge um, part of what we do in our daily, everyday practice as a real estate agent and professional. Uh, to, we are often under attack and under fire because people associate real estate with wealth, which they should, but not necessarily with real estate agents. Um, but we're often put in positions where we're in a home or property you know, with strangers, people who are unknown to us. So during open houses or when we're listing um, homes for sale, particularly during open houses, we will work in teams. So at my brokerage during open houses, there are often two real estate agents or two realtors there on site to help to um, help the traffic through the house to be able to be an extra set of eyes to watch for potential you know, threats or um, family members issues, because like you said, we've gone through different situations, whether it be a divorce, angry spouses, um, heirs who, you know, are disgruntled that don't want the property or home sold, and they will come and intervene, interject, be intimidating. Um, you know, we have, at my brokerage, we are um, doing classes specifically to get our agents concealed carry permits in the state of Maryland. Um, so that, again, we can be armed. I'm licensed to carry. And um, just to make sure that people are aware, it is a very real um, threat that we have to practice personal safety. We use uh, safety timers if we're doing showings alone on a home so that our apps and our technology and our phones, when we unlock a property, we can set a safety timer that will immediately call our emergency contact that's already preloaded in our phones and it'll alert them to exactly where we are, the property location, and they can check on us. And if they don't hear from us, they're directed to call 911 and dispatch the police immediately. So these types of things to try to be proactive to protect our agents, um, you know, going to show properties, collecting information and data. We also do that before we go out to try to meet with potential clients who are not known to us. So we'll uh, use a system called Forewarn that will screen a person's phone number and can give us background check data 
based on that person's name and information that's been recorded with the phone company to see if they um, have criminal charges and criminal histories, et cetera, before we go and meet with them. So we really try to, again, be proactive in terms of our safety and to protect our clients, as well as securing the property and making sure that we secure the property, you know, during that home sale process, you know, uh, making sure that we're checking the surroundings, checking doors, et cetera, and clearing the property when the open house has concluded to make sure that we're walking through with clients if they would like uh, us to guide them through the home or if they want to have their agent take them through. Um, we just try to make sure that we're overseeing the process to keep, again, everyone safe and, you know, to make sure that we, um, we live to see another day. You know, it's really Absolutely. scary out here, scary times that we're living in. It's, it's unfortunate that that's the case, but um, fortunately, um, you know, we have realtors, you know, and again, this is a, this underscores the full service versus limited, you know, or heaven forbid DIYing um, the sale of your own property, because we don't know what we don't know. You are, you know, in an open house, you are literally opening your house to members of the public. And you don't know what's going to come in through the door. Yes, so you don't that's say who gets to come in. Well, you do, but uh, we often find that if you want to really sell your house, you're going to pretty much let everyone and anyone in, and that anyone may be, you know, um, not there intending to buy a home. You know, it, it happens every single day. The statistics are pretty jarring in terms of realtor assault mm -hmm. and um, sexual assault, violent crimes against real estate right. agents and professional is is truly um, a national issue. And um, we do, like I said, employ uh, safety programs and real real estate trainings to do, to, to focus on that, to try to help protect us. Let's pivot now uh, slightly to, okay, so the potential buyer, this is the, the, the personal representative is trying to sell this home. And now, you know, the you're, you're interested in what the home is going to look like to this prospective buyer. Um, I mentioned that there are some, you know, uh, some people who just say, listen, just put it on the market that as is, I'm not trying to spend any money, even though it's uh, attorney Smith, you said that it's a you know valid estate expense. I just want to be done with the process because I'm tired. Right. <laughs> and they're like, I'm exhausted. I've, I've literally had them say, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to just be done with this. Yes. Talk to us, please, about the ways, the 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 smart ways that you um, can really position the property, practical things that you have employed, techniques that you employed to really bring out the best in a property that doesn't necessarily mean breaking the bank. Yes. Um, great question, Elsa. And I appreciate you also giving me more information to put in my toolbox about them being valid um, probate expenses. See, I'm learning something here today because I just told them we're going to do this and we're going to figure out how to get it paid for. Like, you know, let's, but these are some things that you can do at a minimum to try to help showcase the property in its best light. So, and as you stated earlier, they have a responsibility. It's not just their desire as a person or, you know, as an heir, it's their responsibility if they're assigned as the PR to make sure that this property shows in its best light and that it fetches the highest possible return for the beneficiaries of the estate. So I recommend that people, at a minimum, very basic, simple things, to spend $100, generally in a budget, $100 to $200 for light bulbs. You see all these light bulbs? Thing? Light bulbs, when they're out, you see the ones that are lit up look much better than the ones yes, that are not yes, lit up. Yes, yes, yes. If one or two is missing in a home or if they're not all showing in the same color, daylight, warm light bulbs, it makes a huge difference at the appeal of the home. Um, a lot of people want natural light. So sometimes even having the windows clean, you could pay a company. I know there's a company in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland that does them for $5 a window. Hmm. Dirty windows don't show as well as clean ones. The house looks much brighter, much more open and much more clean um, just from a lay person. So $250 in window cleaning. Um, also another thing, like if you wanted to do painting, painting is the great return. If you could do a painting to neutralize the paint color, have the home painted. If you want to DIY, I do not recommend it. Do not DIY paint your house. Hire a professional painter to smooth 
texturize the prop, uh, walls and prep them prior to painting them. And that will return generally uh, for a 2,000 square foot home. The price may be $3,000. The return could be as much as $15,000 or something like wow. that. Wow. More in return than what we see in this area that the appeal, because it's clean, it's neutralized, it's already done, and it shows much better. You know, just visually, it gives a better appeal without having to physically overhaul or remodel kitchens and bathrooms, et cetera. Just very basic things. A good thorough deep cleaning is another huge um, return. Packing up the decluttering is one thing, um, meaning packing up the decedents, belongings and assets, but also in boxing them up and taking them out of the house if you can. But also hiring a company to come and do an extreme deep clean on that property to remove smells because the house may have been closed up for a time because no one lives there. Um, you know, kind of get out that old dusty smell uh, from a property being closed up. A good thorough deep clean will go a long way with a professional company. That'll be about $500 in my experience. I have companies that are on hand. They call me all the time to do deep cleans on my listings. Also, the last thing is carpet cleaning. Maybe $300 to $500 to clean a whole house. A good steam cleaning can bring some of those uh, stains and spots out and can restore those carpets that they can show well without having to redo the entire flooring, you know, for a property or a home. Um, new flooring costs about probably $10,000 for about a 2,000 square foot house at a minimum. But cleaning the carpets would be, you know, again, $300 to $500. Makes the smell better um, and just the appeal is better without having to completely renovate this house. And the, I did, I did say last thing, but the last, last thing is um, staging on a home. To prep a house to do partial staging on a home might be meaning use the assets that are already there and bring in some more modern or cleaner accessories, et cetera, that are more appealing to a broader audience. That might be, you know, two or $3,000 that could additionally further fetch between fifteen dollars and $20,000 more above what it as is, open the door, we don't care, just sell it price. So you're talking about spending about two or $3,000, $4,000 could change and return any uh, seller twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars on a good day or uh, on a bad day. Just so those are those are great, great tips, um, great takeaways. As we're getting ready to wrap up, I do want to talk very briefly on the closing and the settlement uh, process. Um, and if you could just talk to us about what that looks like, who's typically present. And if you can explain what, I guess, in years past, it would have been known as the HUD-1, now the, the Alta form and what it contains. Yes. So the closing process, typically once your home is under contract, we often refer to that as the sale, the escrow period, or you might have heard we're going to settlement, closing. Those are all synonymous and the same things for the public. Um, meaning you're under contract, the parties have agreed to a purchase price, all the terms have been um, ironed out, and we are under agreement, we're proceeding to close them. Throughout the closing process, the sellers and buyers respectively, or their agents, would be working with the title company to get those closing figures on what is called an ALTA statement, or it used to be referred to as a HUD-1. Um, the HUD-1 may still be used, but it's typically dependent on the type of loan that the person it has. And it's a heavily federally regulated form or a contract or agreement um, that discloses the figures that are required in, in essence, the dollar amounts and what they're for, all the fees associated with the closing process. For example, um, the HUD one or the ALTA will often have um, fees called uh, the title fees, title company, which is the title abstract, meaning that they're looking at the home and the previous owners and the history of that property to see if the property can be owned and purchased free and clear without any liens or encumbrances on the property so that you can buy a home with good title. Um, so they'll do a very extensive title search um, to check those things. So those fees are listed on there and that title company work um, are listed on there, as well as things like what they call transfer and recordation taxes, which are your state and your local taxes associated with selling the home. So um, all those fees are collected, as well as commissions, realtor fees that are charged, um, commissions for both uh, 
brokerages or companies that are involved in the sale, administrative fees um, to do paperwork, courier fees, credit reporting charges, and they often have what's called uh, POCs. You'll see POCs sometimes on the ALTA statement, which is basically uh, fees that a buyer or seller pays for outside of closing. So it could be things like the appraisal fee might be captured on there. And that might be $500 to $700, depends on the lender. Um, home inspections, if you have a company who was willing to wait until closing to collect that fee. So all of those fees associated with the purchase or the sale of the home are listed on that uh, also closing statement. They're separate and they usually mirror what's called the closing disclosure. Um, between the seller's closing disclosure, excuse me, the seller's ALTA and the buyer's closing disclosure form, which is from the buyer's lender. And it talks about all the fees and the charges that a buyer gets to see upfront three days before they go to closing to decide whether or not they want to move forward. Because we know after the Great Recession, the fallout, um, 2009, 10, respectively, a lot of buyers said that we didn't know what we signed. So the banks require uh, buyers to receive that closing disclosure or ALTA um, fees and, and dis fully disclose line item every single um, fee that a buyer could potentially be paying or a seller will pay before they get to the closing table. And it has a three-day cooling off rule. So again, if they don't see it, they don't receive it, they can't um, proceed with closing. But at closing, we'll all sit around the table. And since COVID, um, we've been doing what's called split closings. So oftentimes nowadays, the buyers and sellers never see each other and we're usually signing on two different days. So the seller usually goes in a day or two or three sometimes before the buyers actually are prepared to come to the table to sign off and take possession of the property. And that's where the passing of the papers happens. Buyers signs their life away, it feels like, and they get the keys <laughs> to their home. And again, unless the sellers, there's some extreme reason, we generally are not doing combined closes anymore. So they've often been separate since COVID. You know, it makes everyone feels better and it's faster too. So you don't have to sit there. Buyers don't have to sit through the seller signing first, which can mm -hmm. take 45 minutes to an hour. They can just come for their part and be done in 45 minutes to an hour. That's fast. That's fascinating. And what great insights, you know, because a lot of people, unless you're in, you know, in the process of, you know, selling or, or buying, you really don't, as an outsider, have any insight as to what that looks like. So thank you so much for that. As we, and I say as we're closing, but as we're closing on the, <laughs> the, the podcast, what are three takeaways that you have for a, a, a personal representative who is just feeling overwhelmed? What are three tips um, that you can share? I would that? say number one, if they have not already done so, contact a competent estate attorney. Ms. Elsa Smith is always my number one go-to in terms of estate attorney and planning um, and, and getting through that process to open up probate. Number two, seek a competent real estate professional. If you have or your heir, I mean, your, your uh, loved one has passed and they own a home, immediately seek out a competent real estate professional. Make sure that you don't delay because we can help you navigate through that process to contact the bank and notifying the bank once you get um, certain paperwork and milestones in place to notify them so that they can allow you time to be able to sell the property without making the payments necessarily because you're moving forward with trying to sell the property so that you can hopefully minimize your initial output even though the, um, the estate will reimburse you. You want to make sure that if you don't have the initial resources, again, utilize and leverage competent professionals to get that advice. And three, I would say, um, trust God that all will be well, that at the end of the day, you've been given this assignment and you've accepted this assignment, but know that people are here to support you through the process and that you will get through the process. And again, you can feel and have a level of confidence and comfortability if you are working with ethical, legal, bona fide professionals, because our goal is to see our clients happy at the end of the day. Our goal is to make sure that when you think of us, that you're often um, left with a great and positive experience when working with real estate professionals and lawyers and such. You know, it's such a very volatile and difficult time. 
but know that if you have people who have a very strong and solid reputation in this business, that we will go to no, no, you know, no ends to make sure that our clients are happy and that they are taken care of and that the family and the estate is protected and that um, sanctity of the responsibility that you have given us, that we take it so seriously and that we're truly here for you at the end of the day, once you close this estate out and beyond. Um, I have clients that I've become friends with and family with that I can literally go to their homes and have a meal and 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 share, you know, time with them because that's the most important thing to me is my community. We love money. Money is great. And we like, you know, commission checks and paydays. But at the end of the day, the people in my community and the love of my people is at my core and is what really truly drives me to to do this. So we ask that you trust us. And in a world that you often don't want to trust anyone, um, I get it. But know that there are people here who really do have your best interests at heart. And that's what we do every day. We wake up as professionals and we really, really do take our, you know, these roles seriously. So, you know, I pray and I thank you for your time. And, I, and I, I'm always here and happy to help, um, you know, anyone who has any questions about real estate, finances, um, investing, uh, life planning, um, you know, let's make a plan, you know, let's work together to really um, edify and build our community through our resources that we have here. We can do so much, so much greater, you know, together. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd be remiss because I've, I've been, I was telling people throughout the interview that throughout this conversation that we were just going to just quickly distinguish, you know, realtor versus, you know, your everyday uh, like real estate agent just quickly yeah. touch on that and what and why it's to their benefit if they can to to actually build a relationship with a realtor yes so there are over two million real estate agents in the united states alone two million a lot of us out there but less than 20 percent of the agents sell 80 percent of the property so that means there are a lot of agents who are out there who may not be the most competent um, no disrespect, um, but they're not doing as much work as many others. Um, so a real estate agent is a person who has passed the license and exam to receive the credential. They carry a license as a real estate agent. And then there is another level, which is a realtor who is a member of the National Association of Realtors. Um, we belong to all the different, if you're a National Association of Realtor member, you belong to your local board as well as your state board and you will receive education training that is a higher level and threshold of learning and knowledge than a regular real estate agent. You additionally are also held to an extreme code of ethics. There are over 42 tenants in this code of ethics that we adhere to and that we are expected to follow as a real estate agent. And it's not often done along a legal lines. It's along an ethical and a moral code that we take and we can be sanctioned if we violate any tenet of the code of ethics. So again, that's a cornerstone of who we are and what we do. And you often see the NAR campaigns, the commercials, that's who we are because you see the big R as a realtor, but it's really, really true. And that's a wonderful statement because that's truly who we are is our code of ethics. That, that's, so, that's so important. And thank you for sharing that with us. Tina, how can somebody get in contact with you if they want to work with you? Yes. If they have any questions, you can always reach me by phone. My phone number is 301-275-6500. And that is my direct dial. You don't have to go through a personal assistant or anyone to reach me. You can call me literally anytime, day or night, 24-7, 365. I work every single day for my clients. You can also uh, connect with me on Instagram at Tina Marie the Broker. And you'll see at the bottom of your screen, as well as Facebook. Tina Marie Marshall. And my website is Maryland Prime Realty Company. You'll see that MD Realty Prime, uh, Realty Company, excuse me, MD Prime Realty Company, um, dot com. So um, you can always reach me, give me a call any day or any day or any time. I'm always happy to help. Tina Marie, you are such a gift, not only in terms of our, our friendship and our professional relationship, but to the community as a whole. That's why it's such a pleasure for me to, to bring you back whenever there's an issue that needs uh, light shed on it. And you're in my circle of experts that um, I'm privileged to be able to, to call on when needed. So thank you so much for the for your time and for your expertise. You are you are seen and appreciated. 
Thank so you much. so much. I really appreciate that. And likewise to you, I truly do appreciate everything that you do for us. And I appreciate you allowing me this opportunity to speak with your audience and to meet with you and to just come on here and talk about the thing that I love, which is real estate. I eat, sleep and breathe it. I just love it. So I thank you for every opportunity and I don't take it for granted and I don't take it lightly for your friendship as well. So I thank you, Elsa. Thank you so much, everyone. Tina Marie Marshall. Tina Marie, have a wonderful afternoon and we'll talk Thank soon. You. Okay, anytime. Bye-bye. Everyone, Tina Marie Marshall uh, with Maryland uh, Prime Realty as well as DC Prime and Virginia Prime Realty. Um, such a wealth of knowledge that was shared with us uh, today. And I hope you go back and replay this because there's so many good nuggets in this episode. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, Elsa W. Smith, your Maryland estate planning and probate attorney, in exploring, um, you know, just how a personal representative navigates the sale of a loved one's home during probate. That was the topic of our show. And, you know, if you are in that position, if you are either about to start the process of probate or if you're in it um, and you don't have professional guidance, I encourage you to reach out to us, book a free 15 minute call with a member of our team. We help individuals here in the state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. The link to book that free call, a uh, complimentary call will be below, uh, below this video. There's absolutely no obligation. So I want you to stay tuned for more episodes. Don't forget to engage with us on social media. Leave a comment if you have questions or topics that you would like us to explore on a future podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and have a wonderful day.